0: of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now we began uh, way back in the fall of 2018. I believe it was the beginning of uh, September. And typically when we're coming to the end of a study, uh, whether it be a short or long one, I tend to find myself reflecting upon the things that took place over the course of that sermon series in the life of the church, and this series is no different now because we've had a full morning and we have much more to do following the service today. I'm not going to recount everything that has taken place over the past 10 months or so, but what I would like to point out. Is that as we've studied this letter the one truth that, that, that has been revealed over and over and over and over again is how relevant how applicable God's word is to every situation we face good or bad It's the perfect song to sing. I will stand on every promise of your word. First Corinthians has been a wild ride, right? I mean, we've we've covered things we wrestle with. We've covered things we may have never even considered before. And and here, as we find ourselves wrapping up in chapter 16, some have asked, what are you going to do with this hodgepodge of of things that Paul closes with? And and as I've looked at these verses, what well, what's come to light is this isn't random at all. Paul's actually reviewing themes that he's covered throughout the letter. And so we're going to have a little bit of review this morning as we close via the Apostle Paul. Our passage this morning is going to be select verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. That's found on page 962 in the Pew Bibles. If you'd like to follow along there, I'm going to read the entire section and then we're going to pick and choose as we wrap up this morning. 1 Corinthians 16 beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, If it seems advisable that I should go also they will accompany me I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go for I do not want to see you now just in passing I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as am I. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers." Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia and that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas, and for and and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit, as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia, Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. Let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you again for this study and and for the work that you have been doing in our hearts and minds. Lord, we are truly a people that, that needs to stand on your word. We need to stand upon your promises. We need to believe what you have revealed about yourself. We need to worship you as you have revealed yourself in Scripture We need the help of your Spirit both to understand and to obey. And according to your word, Lord, we need one another as well. So I pray, Lord, as we consider verses from your holy word, that your Holy Spirit would move mightily among us for our good and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I mentioned that we're going to look at select sections of chapter sixteen, and, and we're really going to do so to, to, to cover three themes that we, we've seen Paul touch on in in some degree throughout the letter so far. The the, the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is that in verses one through for the apostle Paul actually gives a model for giving for the church in Corinth, and it's a model that we would do well to learn from ourselves. Look at verse, beginning at verse one. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you. To, uh, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now, at first blush, it may seem that Paul's simply dealing with administrative matters as he prepares for his arrival in Corinth, but in reality, Paul's actually applying truths that he's already presented throughout the letter. Now, remember, the the pride that existed in the church in Corinth resulted in an immature, self-centered congregation that lacked a willingness to be taught, And they also failed to pursue genuine love for one another. We we see this in every issue that the Apostle Paul addresses in the entire letter pride and self centeredness. Lack of love. We, we, We see this from the factions that existed to the to the perversion of the Lord's Supper, to their sinful application of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, a a hallmark of spiritual immaturity is the presence of sensuality. And and by sensuality, I I, I simply mean being led by our feelings or our emotions. That's that's what sensuality means in Scripture. The the sensual Christian, the immature Christian, is often impulsive in their decision-making process and and when they make those impulsive decisions they they struggle to maintain faithfulness over the long haul now the truth is every one of us has been there every one of us has been immature in our faith it's a it's a natural part of the process we come to Christ we don't know much about what it means to be a believer but over time as we are exposed to the word of God we grow as the spirit grants understanding and brings about spiritual growth in our lives and so when where we were once led by our emotional responses over time we are called to be led by something more sure and steadfast which is the word of God that makes sense right This this impulsiveness, this sensuality is a a season that every Christian tends to go through, but it is a a season or or a trend that must also be outgrown. It's the expectation of the Bible that every Christian will grow in their faith. And, And you may be asking yourself, what on earth does this have to do with giving? Well, that's a great question, so let me flesh that out for you. In in verses 1 through 4, Paul is giving the Corinthians a model for giving that provides the uh, framework in which they could mature in their approach to caring for the needs of others. We've already seen in our study of 1 Corinthians that there, there existed factions that related to teachers, but there was also division that related between the, the haves and the have-nots, the, the rich and the poor. We saw that in the Lord's Supper. The, the rich people were coming and they were, they, they were eating and getting full and getting drunk while the poor were going hungry. That's Immature. It's immature to, to, to focus just on your own needs while neglecting the needs of others. So, so they couldn't even care well for one another. And here we have the Apostle Paul in verses 1-4 through four calling them to care for Christians somewhere else. Now, keep in mind that the churches that that Paul established consisted of a majority of Gentile converts with some Jews present within most of those churches. And we've seen in our study of other books, like the book of Galatians, that that tensions existed between Jewish and Gentile Christians because Paul addresses those things. He does so in the book of Romans as well. And his point throughout is that the gospel transcends race and culture. The the message of reconciliation to God through faith in Christ is for all people, and it calls all Christians together in unity. Paul, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, called upon the Gentile churches to support their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, in their time of need. And in doing so, he gives us a model for faithful giving. Now, it's important that we understand what was going on in Jerusalem. During that time, there was a great famine in the land. And and in Jerusalem, the the Christians were not getting access to the same type of help from the Roman government that the other Jews were getting in Jerusalem because of their faith. Now, it wasn't the Romans necessarily that was cutting them out, but it was the, the Jews who were in charge the Judaizers, who were in charge of the distribution to the people. And so, of course, those who had left the faith would be last to receive any help. And so the Christians in Jerusalem were starving. They were lacking basic needs because of the famine, but also because of this form of persecution that they were facing. And Paul says, listen, Gentile believers, you need to understand that although these people are of a different race and a different heritage and and some that you have encountered have been difficult to deal with, that that the Christians there are brothers and sisters in Christ and you need to prioritize your expressions of love for them. Now again, this is is mind-blowing to me because The Christians in Corinth weren't even loving one another very well. Paul is calling them to act. As Paul sets forth this model, the the first aspect of the model that that he gives is that faithful giving must be prioritized. His expectation was that each Christian, as they were able, was to set aside money specifically for the aid of the Christians in Jerusalem. This was a special offering. they were to bring it to church on the first day of the week and set it aside. The second aspect of Paul's model for giving is that it is to be done consistently. It wasn't just a one-time offering that they took for the saints in Jerusalem, but Paul writes of it as something that was going to continue until it was no longer needed. It's clear from the wording here that the offering for the saints in Jerusalem was to be a regular part of the church's giving. We know that famines can last for years, so Paul wanted the church to be consistent in their care for their brothers and sisters in need. The third aspect of Paul's model for giving is that it was discretionary. Now, by discretionary, I mean that Paul did not set aside a certain amount that each person had to give. He he didn't give a percentage, so to speak, but he says as they are able or as they were prosperous, as they were earning, they were to, to, to give a portion of that to meet the needs of those in Jerusalem. These three aspects of giving are are a great model for our worship as New Testament Christians as well. We, We should prioritize our worship through giving. We should do so consistently, and we should do so with discretion. It's up between us and the Lord, the amount that we give, and that can change depending on the seasons that we are in. But Paul is describing generous giving that, that flows from hearts and minds that, that are set on honoring God and caring for his people. Now now notice in verse 2 that Paul states that he doesn't want to be there when the collecting was done. He, he, he didn't want it to have to show up and make an emotional appeal and, and say, you know what, I, I was checking out what you guys have done so far and, and we need to pass the plate again. Now a couple of us were joking with, with this being a part of today's sermon that maybe we should have a second offering at the end. But, but, but that Paul didn't want anything to do with it. Remember his uh, approach to ministering in Corinth? He came in and he got his own job to support himself so, so that the people in Corinth, believers and unbelievers, would not confuse his message with, with the philosophers who were coming to town making their living teaching publicly, didn't want to go there, didn't want to set up any kind of stumbling block, didn't want money to be an issue. So he says, you know what? I'm commanding that you give for the good of those in need, but I want it done before I get there. I don't want to have anything to do with appealing to you to raise money. He wants them to grow up and and handle this on their own. He wanted them to, in their own hearts and minds, decide to honor God and how they cared for the saints in Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, we can learn much from this model when it comes to our regular giving and also for, for, for the different needs that arise. We, we should prioritize in a way that enables us to, to, to be able to help those in need. We can certainly plan for our regular giving, and and we should. That's That's a great thing. We don't like models that manipulate here. You'll never find somebody up here making it be passed around a second time, at least not as long as I'm alive. But we will make you aware of needs. And trust that, that in your walk with the Lord that you will recognize when, when those things are, are, are things that you can support. But understand how we handle and prioritize our finances is an expression of worship. And we would do well to, to, to think that way, not just about our church money, but, but how we steward all of God's resources. So much freedom to be found in that. I, I, I say that by way of, uh, of testimony as, as someone who for much of his adult life didn't live that way and has had to have help reprioritizing and, and thinking in that way. If, if that's not your, your mindset, wrestle with that. Because it's a great place to be to begin to, to realize that God truly does own it all. Our ongoing support of the church and other worthwhile causes must be prioritized and planned for in such a way that we can be consistent as we worship God in this way. We, we, we give in light of what God supplies for us. We, we, we have earthly responsibilities. We have to we have to give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We have bills to pay. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things that, that we can experience in this life, but we can be mastered by none of these things. We should develop a plan as, a, as an effort to grow in our faith and in our worship through giving and to also be able to help for those unexpected needs that come up. There's a place for spontaneous generosity, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying that you should never be open for for, for when something unexpected comes up. We, We should be. And we're able to address those issues as our mindset about our resources is such that we recognize that we can handle our resources in a way that makes it possible for us to care for those in need. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. Let that sink in. It's irony, right? Do we need to go back to chapter 1? you want me to, to, to go chapter after chapter after chapter about all the areas that they were weak and struggling in? Yet here, as Paul wraps up the letter, he says, you know what? I've dealt with the issues you've raised. I've dealt with the issues I've heard about. It's time to act. It's time to act. And you begin by caring, showing love, for your brothers and sisters in Christ through caring for their needs. The next issue that Paul addresses is the the need to honor those who lead. Verses 10 through 12, Paul continues, when Timothy comes, see to it that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Now I skipped over verses five through nine. In those verses, Paul is sharing his plans for the immediate future and also his desire to be with the Corinthians once again. But then in verses 10 and 11, Paul prepares the Corinthians for how they should deal with Timothy, his protege. Timothy, who quite possibly was the person who handed them this letter. Timothy would be the one to minister to them now. Now, honestly, I don't know about you, but I I can't read these verses without thinking of the people, again, to whom Paul is writing. This is the church that was divided over which teacher they followed. Peter, Paul, Apollos, and those who saw no need for any earthly teachers because they were followers of Jesus. Can you imagine sending a young pastor into that situation? Not if you cared about him, right? Who wants to go there? Paul, how about I go to Macedonia and and be beaten and imprisoned and you go back to Corinth? I, I think... I think I'd rather be persecuted. Now remember, it wasn't just that people had their own factions and they were happy with the people in the other factions and and they all just kind of formed these multiple churches meeting together as one church. No, if you were a follower of Apollos, you couldn't believe that other people would be followers of Paul who could not speak nearly as well. And if you were a follower of Peter, who who was Jesus' number one disciple, why on earth, you you couldn't fathom, why on earth anyone would follow Apollos or Paul or or say they needed no teachers? There there was pride involved here. And, And so Timothy, coming on the scene, Paul's boy, if you will, Can you imagine the question? Timothy, who? Who are you? We know that you're Paul's boys, but have you ever met Peter? What about Apollos? Did Jesus ever appear to you, Timothy? Don't you know who you're trying to minister to, boy? Timothy was coming, and Paul expected the Corinthians to make his visit a pleasant one rather than one filled with trouble. Now in 2 Corinthians we find out also that, that 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 there was the factions were a problem but there were also some in the church who were actively undermining Paul's authority and teaching as an apostle. These same people would have actively opposed the ministry of Timothy because of his close association with Paul. Such behavior would have brought much harm to the church because brothers and sisters faithful teachers are God's instruments. For growth and health in the church. Paul made this clear way back in chapters 3 and 4 as he explained the the purposes of the apostles and teachers and building up the church. In chapter 4 verse 1 Paul states that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. A, A steward was a manager or a caretaker on behalf of someone else, an owner. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and Paul and the other teachers were entrusted with delivering God's gospel to the people, which established the church. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, when the word mystery is used in the Bible, it's, it's in reference to something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. Paul and the other apostles, the teachers and leaders in the church, they were expected to preach God's gospel, not a message of their own invention or imagination. Faithful teachers were and are God's gift to his church and and Paul wanted the church to receive the full benefit of Timothy's presence with them. In, in verse 12, Paul references Apollos, one of the faithful leaders who had ministered in Corinth, and, and as a result, had his own following there says now concerning our brother Apollos I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers but it was not at all his will to come now he will come when he has opportunity now Paul wanted Apollos to accompany Timothy in in his visit and perhaps Paul thought the two ministering together Paul's protege and Apollos would have served to, to to maybe tear down some of those factions that existed. But Apollos was unwilling. And, and giving the wording in the original Greek, Paul basically did not think that the timing was right for his return to Corinth because of the circumstances in the church. That 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 phrase, he, he, will, he will come. Verse 12, he, he will come as he has the opportunity. Would be better understood, he will come when the time is right. He, he, he's looking at the church and saying, no thanks, Paul. This is not a good time to go to Corinth. And Paul doesn't dispute that. The, the, the Corinthians' failure to honor those who had entrusted with leading and teaching in the church had brought disunity and it also affected the willingness and the, affected, the effectiveness of the teachers who taught them. Faithful leaders are, are deserving of honor and respect, not because of anything special about them individually, but because of the role they play in God's design for building his church. Neither Paul, nor Apollos, nor Timothy, nor Peter, nor anyone else wanted to be revered by the church. They they wanted God to be glorified in the hearts and minds and the life of his church. And, And the same must be true today for those who lead and for the church as a whole as well. Finally, in verse 13, we see that Paul calls the church to stand. He writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love Verse 13 is Paul's final exhortation to respond to all that he's written so far. In their pride, the church in Corinth thought that they were doing just fine when in fact they were a mess, or I guess today we would say they were a hot mess. They they, they were a mess internally. They were a mess externally because their testimony before the world was a mess as well. And Paul gives five commands for the good of the church. The first is to be watchful, literally to be awake or alert. Time and again in our study of 1 Corinthians, we've seen how the views of the Greek culture were negatively affecting the church. From the way they mistreated one another based on wealth and class, to their approach to worship, even to their understanding of the resurrection, the Corinthians were stained by the philosophies of the world. They were stained. They were were not untouched by the world. They were more influenced by the world in some ways than even by the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And sadly, this is an ongoing trend in the church today. It happens when we fail to stay alert and on guard in relation to the messages we receive Right now, one of the biggest indictments against contemporary Christianity is the fact that preachers and teachers are esteemed based on how they make people feel rather than their faithfulness to Scripture. And this must not be the case, brothers and sisters. We must be a people of this book, the Bible. There are other ways that the philosophies of the world are creeping into the church. Views on leadership and gender and every other hot-button issue in society today is filtering its way in, not for the church to approach and consider from the lens of Scripture and affirm or reject based on God's Word, but we are allowing the world to come in and tell us what we should believe. Why on earth would we submit ourselves to an antiquated book, they say, that is filled with stories written by men who did not like women? These are all worldly philosophies and slander the Word of God. We must, if we are to stand firm, which is the next command, first stay awake. We must be aware that that, that some of the most deadly deceptions that creep into the church creep in under the banner of Christianity. It's because someone has given ground in an area where scripture does not permit next command that Paul gives is to stand firm in the faith this command is closely related to the one before it to stand firm means to to be established and unmovable that word faith in this instance is not a reference to our ability to have faith that's not what Paul means at all it's a reference to the trustworthy teaching about Christ Those things which can and must be believed. The ability to stand firm in this world can only be found in the objective truth of God's word. How else will we stand against philosophies that may sound good on the outside or make us feel guilty enough to reconsider what we believe is true? If we are sensual Christians, then we're going to go with where our emotions lead us. But if we are going to be mature in our faith, then we will stand on this word. The Corinthians did not get where they were when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians overnight. The road to apostasy is filled with compromise. Compromise. God's word is trustworthy. We must believe it. The next command that Paul asked for the church is to act like men. Now before you accuse the apostle Paul of being a sexist and demeaning women by calling the church to act like men, it would be a good idea for us to back up and remember Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1-4, through Paul writes, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Chapter 3, Paul's calling them Babies. (laughs) In chapter 16, he's saying it's time to grow up. This isn't about men and women. It's about babies and adults. Now understand something. Biblical manhood comes with expectations. Biblical view of manhood emphasizes a submission to God's authority that is revealed in the courage to do what is right. So when Paul says, act like men, he's saying, listen, submit yourself to this teaching of God. Have the courage to do it. Be faithful to do it. Remember some of the stuff he's calling him to do? You're supposed to, to confront and discipline a man who was having relations with what's most likely his stepmother, intimate, sexual relations. You've got to deal with that. Put in a black eye on the church. Act like men. Be courageous. Submit to the truth. Do what needs to be done. You've got people who are disrupting the worship service through their expressions of the Holy Spirit. You've got to deal with that. Have the courage. Submit to my teaching. Do what God wants you to do strong words. It was time for the church in Corinth to act and in many ways, brothers and sisters, given the the landscape of churchianity in America, we need to stand up as well. Next command that Paul gives is to be strong. And a better way for us to understand this phrase would would be to read it this way Become strong, strengthen yourselves. He's already called them babies, (laughs) grow up. Whenever Paul writes about strength in relation to the Christian life, it's, it's always in reference to the Lord. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Paul is writing out his prayer for, for the spiritual strength of the church in Ephesus. Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Ephesians 6.10, this is the introduction to Paul's famous teaching on the armor of God. He writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 1 Corinthians, uh, or Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, another one of Paul's prayers for the church. Paul writes, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him Brothers and sisters, we may feel weak, and the world may view us as weak, but there is a strength that can only be found through our reconciliation to God through Jesus. This is the basis for our ability to stand up under trial, to be bold in the face of opposition. And it's even how we're able to put to death our sinful desires in order to live for God's glory. Through faith in Christ, our sins have been forgiven, brothers and sisters. We have been restored to God. We have God's spirit within us. We have his word to guide us and his church to care for and support us. We lack strength because we do not ask for strength. Paul's final command. Let all that you do be done in love. And this directs us back to to chapter 13. And and for the sake of time, I want to only read verses 4 through 7. But as I read these verses, I want you to listen with your brothers and sisters seated around you in mind. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now we hear this read at wedding, after wedding, and it's beautiful, but Paul is writing to this. That's the type of love, sure, Have it for your spouse, I I recommend. But Paul commands that we have it for one another. Paul was writing to a church that lacked true unity, and in these three verses he gives the key to true unifying love for one another in the church. Patience, kindness, void of of self-centered arrogance, mindful of the needs of others, gracious towards others, and delighting in what's good and true willing to endure with one another, choosing to believe the best about one another, wanting the best for one another, and so on. Brothers and sisters, it's human nature for us to take take for granted those who are closest to us. And the church is not immune. But love is something that we must pursue and cultivate with one another relationships within the church must be prioritized and whenever necessary wrongs must be forgiven this is the type of law that reveals that we've truly received the love of God so let us grow in our love for one another dear ones I, I, I started by pointing out that that first that Corinthians covers a a wide range of topics but you can boil it down really under three headings first of all identity Paul begins by reminding the Corinthians of their identity in Christ it's essential that we understand now who we are in Christ and have that identity define how we live second word is unity a church that lacks unity calls into question its validity as a church in Christ brothers and sisters we are called to be committed to him and to one another for his glory and for our good united by our common faith in Christ and united under his authoritative word and finally love we must be known for our love for God our love for one another in the church and our love for the lost. It's a love that must be evident in our faithfulness, in our sacrifice, and in our service for the glory of God. Identity, who are you in Christ? Unity, who are you in relation to your brothers and sisters? Love, how you live with one another as the church let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the past several months that we've been in your word together in 1 Corinthians. And Lord, I just want to thank you so much for, Lord, the gold mine that it is for our faith. Lord, may we all go back in in the weeks and months ahead and reread what we've learned, even as we plow forward in other books of the Bible as well. Lord, I ask that you would use the truth, Lord. If there are things that I have said today that have been hard to hear, Lord, I I pray that you give my brothers and sisters wisdom as they weigh what has been said. May they compare it to your word, and and Lord, where it is validated, Lord, I I pray that they would respond appropriately, Lord, and if there are places that I've gone too far, Lord, help them to let that go. But I ask that you would do all that is necessary to build us up in you. And I ask this in Christ's name, amen.